We're going to talk about worship this morning. And we're going to sing a couple more songs uh, toward the end. But I want to start off this morning to just kind of to talk about praise and talk about worship. Talk about Hebrew words that were translated into praise. And in the Bible, how they, they, so, they say so much if you actually know the real meanings. And instead of just translated it like we have in, in the King James and New King James and other, other versions, it's just translated to praise. But actually, they had a completely um, specific uh, meaning. And so we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, next week, we're going to actually talk about the Greek words and, and going into that. So what I want to do this morning is we're just going to do this first, and then we're going to maybe practice a little bit of what we've, what we've learned as we go through. So this morning, um, I want to talk about the, the importance of praise and worship. First of all, I want to talk about praise. Praise is vocal, audible, and or visible adoration of God. Praise is vocal, audible, and or visible adoration of God. First, praise may be vocal. Now, I'm going to have a lot of scriptures, and I'm going to have a main scripture once we get into the, the, the message a little bit more. But to, to start off with, I'm just going to have several, so you don't really need to worry about following me or, or anything there. But we're going to look at uh, 2 Samuel 6, 14 through 16 here after a while. That'll be our main text once we get to it. So first, praise may be vocal. Psalms 145, 21 says, My mouth will speak in the praise of the Lord. Psalm 63, 3 says, The psalmist declares, My lips will glorify you. In a number of verses, we note that a shout is involved. Shout, to, shout with joy to God all the earth. That is Psalm 66.1. Proclaiming aloud your praise. That's Psalm 27.6. All these verses reveal the vocal aspect of adoration. Our adoration towards God. We, we can do it with our voices. However, praise may, may be audible without being vocal. Everyone clap your hands real quick. Wow. That may be the only applause I get all morning. So thank you. I just had to get that. Honestly, that, that is, that's something that we, we're, we're making noise. You can hear that, but we're not vocalizing it. And, and we, can, we can do that in our praise and in our worship. So praise may be audible without being vocal. Clap your hands, all you nations. That's Psalms 47.1. Other means of audible praise are mentioned in Psalm 150, 3 through 5. And as a worship leader and as a, as a band and as musicians, this is a, a, a couple verses that people really tend to, to lean on. And it's uh, Psalms 150, 3 through 5. It says, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the string and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. That's, that's got a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of things we get to do as musicians. The third category involves cases where praise may neither be vocal nor audible. One, of the, one is the lifting of hands. And I've seen several do it. And we praise and we lift our hands. And the thing is, that's one way that we can do it. In your name, I will lift my hands, declares the psalmist in Psalm 63, 4. Another form of praise that is neither vocal nor audible is dancing. David danced before the Lord when the ark was finally brought to its rightful place. And I want to read about that real quick. This isn't really in the, in the notes here, but it's 1 Chronicles 15, 28, 29. It says, so all of Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn, trumpets, and cymbals, and made loud music on harps and lyres. And the Ark, and as the Ark was the covenant of the Lord, came to the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw the king David dancing and rejoicing. David himself suggests in Psalms 149.3, let them praise his name with dancing. 
and I know we're a Baptist church, and, and I'm okay with that. I, I don't mind, you know, I know that we don't do a lot of dancing, but I know one thing. If God is telling us to move or God is telling us to do something, if he's telling us to clap, whatever it may be, we need to be obedient to his call. So these words they're, they're, that we're going to be looking at, they actually mean several of these things. Yet another form of praise that is visible, yet not audible or vocal, is kneeling. And we do that oftentimes when we come to an altar and we kneel before the Lord. I've seen some places in, in worship when we're actually in worshiping that people will turn around in their seats and actually go to their knees and they would kneel and they praise. And it's one of those things that is, is sometimes is hard for us to do, but it's the word hava. The word hava is used more than 60 times in the Old Testament and refers to a position, a prostration, or kneeling. It is generally translated worship most of the time. In 1 Chronicles 16, 29, bring an offering and come before him. Worship, that's the word hava, the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So they knelt before him. So that, that actual verse says, bring an offering and come before him. Kneel before the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. In our Bible, it just says to worship. Second Chronicles 28, or 20, 18. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people of Ju- Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship, hava, before the Lord. Praise and worship is much more than just coming to a worship service, coming to a church service, singing a few songs, sometimes half-heartedly. You know, I, as, as from up here, sometimes I see the people that are engaged and they're worshiping, they're, they're clapping, they're singing. Some people are actually just vocalizing their, the songs, and there are some people that kind of stand with their hands in their pocket and just wait for the music to get done. So, and that's okay. But the thing is, God is, God is telling us, you know, we need more than that. Um, you know, we, we don't want our half-hearted songs or, or you know, sometimes it, it's not just coming and listening to a preacher or, or giving if you feel like a little bit of our money. That's not what it's about at all. Every true act of worship involves some sacrifice. Every true act of worship involves sacrifice. It may be monetary. It may be sac- sacrifice of our comfort. I believe that's a big one. A lot of times we're very comfortable in the way we do things. Doing something in a different way, not because what we were doing was wrong, but just because, like us, God, God sometimes likes something different. He doesn't want us to come before him the same way day after day, week after week, just like we don't want our children to come to us the same way all the time and, and asking for something in the same manner. He, he want, you know, we want them to do it different just as God. He wants us to do things different as well. Our sacrifice may be putting our emotions where our money is. In other words, giving to God with joy, giving joyfully. And we're going to do that after a while. Second Chronicles 9, 7 talks about that. And getting excited, maybe lifting our hands, maybe shouting. I've heard people shout in here. And I've, again, clapping and maybe even dancing. When is the last time, when is the last time that we actually gave God a sacrifice instead of just an offering? There is a difference. In 2 Samuel 24, David had sinned and the people under him were praying or were paying the price. And oftentimes that what, that's what happens when someone in, in leadership and maybe they fall or something. It just doesn't affect them and it affects everybody else under them. And so when the judgment of God ended, it was at the threshing floor of Aruna. And Aruna, to commemorate the grace of God and staying his hand of judgment, David approached Aruna. And he wanted to, to buy the, the, the threshing floor. But Aruna came to him and said, um, you know, but David... I want to give it to you. But David said in verse 24, he refused to just take it and said, I will not sacrifice to my God any offering that costs me nothing. How many times do we give back to God the things that really don't, hasn't cost us much? 
maybe we get a little extra some week or something, and, and we thought, well, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and give that to the Lord. I'm going to give extra, which is we need to do, but we need to give sacrificially because it really does cost us something. And David had this perspective right. Um, you know, in other words, there is a cost to worship, and David knew the importance of sacrifice. So this morning, I want to talk about some words, seven Hebrew words. And of course, there's so many other ones that we will. But I want to just go through a few of these words and to just give you a meaning of what they really are. The word most often used for praise in the Old Testament is halal. Halal. This is an English pronunciation of a Hebrew word. Without the aid of Hebrew, uh, we would mistakenly assume that there is only one word in the original language. But really, there's more than 50 there's more than 50. I want to talk about the most common word derived from halal in the Bible. And I'm sure that m- many of you already know what that is. The word I'm speaking of is hallelujah. We've heard that. I've heard it this morning. I've heard it from a couple of different people. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And that's a great, marvelous word. The Hebrew word halal forms the first part of the splendid word. Halal and then yah. So I believe the original word has such majesty and, and completeness that instead of being translated, it is transliterated. In other words, in English, it's hallelujah. In Italian, it's hallelujah. In Spanish, it's hallelujah. And I've been to different mission, mission places, and whenever someone says that word, it's said exactly the same way. It's because it's not only translated, but it's transliterated. The first part of that word is halal. The second part of the word is yah. When you bring that together, it's just to, to, to boast or to laud. The definition of halal means to boast, to brag on, to laud, to make a show, even to the point of looking foolish, as David did when he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. So the second part is yah, and it's just a, a shortened name for God. And thus, hallelujah becomes a spontaneous outcry of one excited about God. And when we say that, usually it's because we are excited. And we sing, Hallelujah! We don't come up and just say, hallelujah. We do it when we're excited. It's a spontaneous outcry because we want to give our praise and our worship to a holy king. And we say, hallelujah. We thank you, God. And it's to boast and to brag about him, to laud about him. That's what that word is about. And so we want to make sure that we know that. The second most translated word in praise is yada. This word means to worship with extended hands or thrown hands to give thanks to God, that we lift our hands. The English translation often means thanks or thanksgiving. Few exercises in worship are more controversial than lifting of the hands, especially in our churches today, in Baptist churches and, and different ones. And, and when we do really well here, um, one of the books I'm going to look at in a little bit, um, uh, Dr. Jack Taylor, he wrote a book. It's called Hallelujah Factor. He's a Baptist minister, and, and he wrote a, a lot of things about worship and praise. And we're going to li- look at that in just a minute, uh, uh, just a little excerpt from that book. Few exercises in worship are more controversial, controversial than lifting hands. It seems that most to be most offensive to those who have never done it. And I want to talk about that just a minute. To those who have never done it, you know, we were in New Mexico, and I remember leading worship one Sunday, and, and it was a little stiffer crowd, you might say. I don't know what the right word to say is, but they really did not express themselves very much. And so we were leading worship one Sunday, and, and I'm standing there and, and behind the pulpit and leading, and, and I just asked if during one song, and I forget, I think it was, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my king. And I just asked them if they, not even to raise their hands, but just to kind of turn their palms toward heaven. 
And we went on with the service, and some people did, and some people raised their hands. And, but I'll never forget, we had a, a lady in the, in the back, and she was probably in her 30s. She was a very young um, person that was kind of in our choir that we had and different things. And after the service, she came up to me, and she said, Mike, she said, you made me very uncomfortable today. She said, I will never raise my hands. I just don't appreciate you asking me to do that. And all I could say to her was, I felt sorry for you. Because God is asking us to do that. It's biblical. It's scriptural. We're to raise our hands in the, in the sanctuary and praise his name. When I pray often, I will raise my hands to the Lord. And even riding down the road sometimes, I'll raise my hand to the Lord when I pray. Just because I, I just want him to know that I am surrendering to his will. Because that's what it's all about. It's letting him have control. and Letting him know that I mean nothing. Psalm 134.2 says, Lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. In Nehemiah 8, 6, we see that all of the people lifted their hands and responded, amen and amen. Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 8 states, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without arguing or disputing. He says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands. Everywhere. Sanctuary is part of everywhere. Understanding the risk of offense, this exercise is one of the most explosive and meaningful expressions of praise. I want you to get this. I believe that God loves it, the flesh hates it, and the devil is devastated by it. Raising hands in his international sign of surrender, and that is why we need to do, we need to do surrender to God. As we raise our hands and, and we surrender to him, I remember as you know, my, my boys have grown up, and, and Caleb and Jacob, and even the older ones, whenever they come, when they were little toddlers, and I know that Justin and Kayla are going to go through this, you know, coming up, and Vincent, and Aaron, when, when their little kids begin to get a little older, and they want picked up, they're going to come up there toddling, you know, up there to their, their mom or the dad, and they're going to raise their hands like this, and they're not going to say, get away from me, you charismatic, you're embarrassing me. They're going to know exactly what that is. And as we come before God and we raise our hands, we're saying, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, here I am. Lift me, hold me, and comfort me. Maybe it's just giving thanks to him, giving praise to him. We need to make sure that we're ready and willing to allow God to move as ever he chooses to move. The third word is Barak. This word is used over 200 times to denote, to denote blessing or blessings from God. And this is the one to kneel, to bless, or salute. The best-known reference in Barak in the Old Testament is Job 121. It says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be Barak. May the name of the Lord be praised. In other words, he was kneeling before the Lord and saying, Father, no matter what it happens, all these things that, is, that are going on in my life, I'm still going to kneel before you, and I'm still going to praise you. The fourth most, most used word is tehila, which means to singing of halals, it's perceived in involving music, especially singing. Singing has always been a vital part of worship to God. So the singing of halals is tehillah. The next word is zamar. This word is used almost exclusively in poetry. It means to pluck the strings of an instrument or to sing or to praise. It's actually a musical word that is largely involved in joyful expression of music. It's used approximately 40 times as an expression of praise. It is used in 1 Chronicles 16.9, one of the greatest chapters of praise in the entire Bible. It's sing to him, sing praise, Zamar, to him. Tell of his wonderful acts. 
In this chapter alone, there are four different Hebrew words translated praise. In verse 35, it is tehillah. In verse 36, it is barak in the first part of that verse. And halal in the last part. How deep and varied are the expressions of this? So they play tehillah, and they sing and kneel before him, barak. And they're excited about who they're singing to and praying to. So they sing in halals. The next is Toda. This is almost like Yada. It means to the extended of hands and thanksgiving and is used only a few times when translated into praise. The last word I want to mention is Shabak, which means to shout to an address to the Lord or to less with a loud voice, to command. It's an exclamatory form of praise. Psalm 63.3 says, Because of your love is better than life, my lips will glorify Shabak, your name. My lips will praise thee. These are all words that we can look at with um, worship. And, and as we sing and we, we lift our hands to the Lord and, and we want to sing, these are, are some of the words. Like I said, there's more than 50 of them that are out there. And we're going to talk about some of the other ones next week. But what I want to talk about real quickly is that in churches all across America and sometimes even in, in, in classrooms, and I'm just talking about where they maybe sing or they you know, will praise or whatever it may be, there are always people and you've seen it on TV, um, church events, whatever, there are people that are protesting praise. People that protest praise. I want to read 2 Samuel 6, 14. And this is our main verse. Second Samuel 6, 14 through 16. There we go. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with a shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. I want to go on down to verse 20. And David returned to bless his house, household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored, honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of the servants, female servants, as one of the, one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uh, uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all this house, to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, I will, make, I will make merry before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. In other words, I will become more undignified than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of, of whom I have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her birth. She was protesting praise. She was being, why would you do that? Why would you embarrass yourself? And that's what happens to us sometimes in the sanctuary when we're singing and we're wanting to, to worship God. And 
you know, people are raising their hands around us, and I've been there before. I've been that person that wanted to, to raise their hands. And I remember when I first come to know the Lord, and, and I was going to church, and um, I was in, in the back of, of this little church, and I kept, you know, kept, man, I, I, I want to praise. I see these people doing it, but whatever, what's everybody going to think about me? What's everybody going to say? They're going to be looking at me. The thing is, it was something that was holding me captive. I, was, I wasn't allowing myself to have freedom of expression. I wasn't allowing myself to have freedom of praise and of worship. And so one Sunday, I'm, I'm sitting there at church, and I just decided I'm going to raise my hand. And when I did, there was a feeling that came over me that just, I mean, it just kind of engulfed me, and it just kind of, kind of lifted a burden. And then all of a sudden, I found myself lifting and, and raising my hands and praise to him all the time. And you know the thing is, people around me, they didn't care. They weren't watching me. They were involved in their own time of worship, their own, you know, sacrificial worship that they were giving. In Job, we read, where Job had suffered the loss of his possessions as well as his children, his response was, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That's Job 121. This was Job's determination. Even though he had lost everything, he had along with his health, but his wife chimed in, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Job's wife had problems which caused her to protest praise. Ignorance and short-sightedness. She could not see beyond the immediate circumstances to the sovereignty of a loving God. And what we're at right now in our circumstances is we're moving forward and we're you know, beginning to look for a new pastor. What an awesome time. What a time to just be, to know that God is working and to know that we have a group of men that are looking, going to be looking through resumes. But you know the biggest thing, the main thing that we've talked about so far in our meetings has been prayer. How important it is that we pray, that we seek God's face. And that's what I talked about this past Sunday night. We just need to pray. And God wants that communication with us more than anything else. He wants us to pray. So there are people that protest praise. The next thing is unconfessed sin in the life of the believer restricts praise. I want to repeat that. Unconfessed sin in the life of the believer restricts praise. In other words, we may come to church Sunday after Sunday, and we have some kind of sin in our life that we've not buried, that we've not put in behind the cross. Maybe we're, we're coming, and we want to sing, and we want to praise, and we want to go through the motions, but that praise that we're doing will go no higher than the ceiling. Because we have sin in our life. And we're trying to, to reach the throne of God when we have sin that is that barrier. Because God cannot look upon sin. So we need to make sure that repentance, complete and thorough, is there. It's a necess- it's necess- necessity to unhindered praise. A law re- relating to revival and praise is stated in Proverbs twenty eight thirteen: He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses, and renounces them, finds mercy. Another, Psalm 103.1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. That great declaration shows total cleansing from sin. If sin is in the praiser, he or she cannot bless the Lord because praise involves all that is within us, not some. The church today is largely illiterate regarding the subject of praise. Folks are generally down on what they're not up on. In other words, what they don't understand. They look at it and they kind of disregard it because they don't really understand it. They're not educated. Regarding praise, that statement is never more true than today. Misunderstanding abounds because of 
the fact that we just don't understand it. And we just don't know. We've not been taught. When a congregation begins to accept this biblical truth about praise, there begins to be freedom in their corporate exercise of praise and worship. One thing that I know whenever I was sitting there and, and God was asking me to raise my hands. And, and later on in life, you know, not too much later, but as, as, as I was maybe wanting to kneel before him, I had something inside of me that was keeping me from wanting to do those things. And that very thing was one word, and that word is pride. I was a very proudful young man. I had a lot of animosity in my life towards things that had happened in my past. And I know God that had forgiven given me of them, those things, but I hadn't forgiven myself. And so, therefore, I wasn't truly where I needed to be. But as I began to draw closer to God, and the more I wanted to raise my hands, the more I wanted to to shout, the more I wanted to maybe fall before him and kneel before him, the one thing that kept me from doing it was pride. Nothing strikes a blow at pride like praise. I want to read just a little bit of, of of a book here. And this, it just puts it better than I could ever put it. This is from the Hallelujah Factor, Jack Taylor. It says, nothing strikes a blow at pride like praise. David remarked to Michael, I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. That's 2 Samuel 6.22. Michael's sense of dignity, such as our own, false and humanistic, has been offended. David's choice was to capitulate and, and accommodate her offense or go on in praise. The average congregation possesses several forms of pride. Most of us experienced all of them. There is face pride. We are sensitive about losing face in the eyes of others. We have an an image to protect, so we we feel and many of our uh, actions are weighed in the light of, of their effect in our image. Then there is race pride. This is rooted in the feeling that the color of a man's skin causes his net worth to appreciate or depreciate. Until I am able to worship freely with anyone, regardless of race, my praise will be hindered. There is also place pride. If I have a feeling of elevation over my social status, financial worth, or peer recognition, praise will be stifled. Perhaps most subtle of, of all is grace pride. This sort of pride, this sort of pride eases in on the supposition that the magnitude of God's blessings on my life indicate uh, superiority or spiritual spirituality on my part. It must be remembered that Uzziah of old was mightily blessed of the Lord as long as he sought after God. The tragic record was that he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after he became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Sounds of praise died out under clamorous noise of pride. Unfaithfulness was the next step and devastation. Praise will serve to expose every form of pride for what it is. Pride is unmasked by genuine biblical praise. Either pride will stop the progress of praise or praise will root up and destroy pride. Pride is the unmasked uh, genuine biblical praise. Either pride will stop the progress of praise or praise will root up and destroy pride. Another thing is there may be giving without praise, but there cannot be praise without giving. True praise is always accompanied by giving. One of the high points of a worship service should be our offering. And I talked about that a little bit earlier. It should be one of the things that we're looking forward to the most every week because we get to give back to God. We get to pray with him, to pray to him, we get to talk to him, but whenever we give to him, we're actually helping him complete ministry. 
We're helping him because he can do things. He doesn't need us. But in today's society, it takes money to make things work. And when we're giving back to him, we're giving back to the church, it allows the church to be able to go out and to do the things that God has called them to do. So that is, should be a, a, just a, a complete, you know, just, uh, just a great, awesome time that we look for. But oftentimes we just pass the plates and we think, okay, I'm going to give my 10% or 5%, 3%, whatever it may be. So, but God would truly grant us that, that ability to help him is, is just, just great. When we sing to the Lord, we are given. When we shout to the Lord, we are giving. When we meditate on the Lord, we are giving. All worship is in fact giving. All worship is giving. When we give, we're not merely giving money. We're giving part of ourselves, our time, and our talents. We are acknowledging that we belong to God. The last things that I want to look at this morning. What one determined to praise may expect. I want you to really think about these things. First of all, there's going to be immediate elation. Whenever we decide that we're going to praise, we're going to be excited to come to church. We're going to be excited to gather together in corporate praise because we're going to kind of feed off of each other for one thing, but God is going to, we're going to be glorifying his name. One of the things when I pray, I ask, Lord, may everything that I do this morning bring glory and honor to your name. And I pray that we do that. But as we're going to realize that there will be immediate elation. The second thing, there will be immediate elation in spiritual warfare. That doesn't sound very promising, does it? Why would I want to praise if I know that God or Satan's going to come and attack? But here's the thing. God doesn't, if God's not bothering you, you probably need to worry about your walk. If your walk is where it needs to be, believe me, Satan is going to be coming against you in a variety of ways. So there's immediate elation in spiritual warfare. Expect the enemy to attack. His purpose is to attack us to the point where we will abandon our determination to praise. He's going to attack us to that point. If if his attacks fall short on us, he will attack someone close to the praiser. So you may be all with it and you're doing everything and you're not letting Satan get you down and you're going to praise and you're going to worship and then all of a sudden someone that's really close to you finds a way to stifle that. They may make fun of what you're doing. They may come against you in different ways. Here's the thing. There might just be something happening in their life that really causes you to lose that focus. Just remember and be aware that Satan is going to try to attack. If the devil cannot defeat you, he will try to defeat someone whose defeat will defeat you. The devil cannot stand very long against the powerful weapon of praise. Number three, there will be increased perception of spiritual truth. The Bible will come alive. I've heard people read the Bible, and I've, I've heard them, and, and, and I've been there before. I've read it, and it kind of gets monotone, and, and it's just one of those things like, well, I'm just kind of trying to get through it. But what happens whenever we finally come to the point we want to praise, we want to worship, we want to be in tune with God, we begin to read these scriptures. And when they're reading here about the Ark of the Covenant, and it's coming back, that story comes to life, especially for me. I've talked about Moses a couple weeks ago and the Red Sea party, and all, all those things, they come to life. It's not something, it's just a story in this book, it's actual history. Something that happened, and we should be excited. We should be ready to just, oh, thank you, Lord, and oh man, show me more, show me more. And that's what's going to happen whenever we decide to get in tune with God and we want to praise him and we want to worship him. The Bible will come to life and it's going to be so meaningful to us. 
Number four, there will be an increased anticipation and excitement regarding the high privilege of public worship. We've already touched on that a little bit. We're going to be excited to come together and to worship and to lift our our praises to him. Maybe come to the altar and, and to just lay things before him as we praise. You know, we don't need to come to the altar because we have something wrong with us. We can come to the altar and let God have things. Just, you know, thank him. God, I just want to thank you for all you've done this week. Sometimes we want to come to the altar and we may have a burden. Maybe we have a burden for someone else. But so many people in churches across America, when people walk to the altar, they think, well, I wonder what he did in his life. Or I wonder what she did. I wonder what she's going down there for. I bet you it's whenever she told Miss Betty that thing the other day. That's not what it is. We need to be able to come to this altar of worship and to praise and just let God have everything. That's where we do our battleground. It's a place of battle. And that's where God meets us and gives us strength. Number five, there will be a new dimension of the personal quiet time as we learn praise as it was meant to be. Praise will become a habit and order will give way to spontaneity. Pastor Howe, when he was here, one of the things that really caused me and wanted me to come, and, and as we talked, and, and me and Tammy, we talked about things, the one thing that he had told me three or four different times was, Mike, he said, I want to get to the place in our congregation where we can come and that we can just worship the Lord, and some of that is going to give way to spontaneity, and that we're just going to want to worship, and he said, Mike, I don't mind if I don't even get to preach one Sunday, or maybe two Sundays. Maybe the Lord is moving so strong in a worship service that we just, we just want to cry out to him. We want to come to the altars, and we want to come and just lay our hearts before him, He told me, he said, I don't have to preach every week if the people will just give way to spontaneity. If they will allow God to move in their hearts in the way that God is wanting to move in their hearts, what a wonderful church we would have. What a great conversation that was with Pastor Norm. And I really look forward to that. And I still want that in this church. Number six, there will be a fresh and exciting growth in loving God as knowledge increases in the atmosphere of praise. The more we know about him, the more knowledge we have, the more that we understand who he is and what he wants, there's, there, you know, there's just a, some great things that's going to happen if we will just let that happen. Number seven, praise should become an acquired skill, ever, ever, ever improving, a habit even stronger in its good grip on us. I want you to listen to this. When all the above are surely true in all who praise, we are never to allow feelings or sensations or the absence of them to alter our habit of praise. We are never to allow feelings or sensations or the absence of them to alter the habit of praise. We will come to the point where we choose to praise, whether we feel like it or not. And that's one thing that I know that has happened in different churches, and they become, well, it's all about emotion. It's all about feeling. You know, it's, you know they come in there, and they want to jump, and they want to dance, and, and do all these things. It's not, never really any kind of reverence to it. Whenever we come into these houses of worship, we need to give God our best. And that's singing at the top of our voice, the top of our lungs, to just raising our hands before him, maybe coming and kneeling before him, maybe just coming in worship, maybe where we're at in our seats that we might just bow, whatever it may be, I don't know. And there's, here's the thing, everyone has different forms of worship that God is going to tell you to do. So just because something is easy for me, something that I really feel called to do, may not be the same that God is calling you to do. So we need to make sure that we're obedient to the call of God in our life. I just want to talk just one thing as we, as we begin to close. And if the, the musicians and singers want to come back up, we'll get ready to, to worship just a little bit more this morning.
what it means to worship. And I just want to talk about this. Praise is taught. It's not taught. Praise is not taught. It's caught. You come into a church that is exciting, that's excited, and people, you see them raising and, and worshiping and praising them. It begins to just kind of happen. It begins to happen throughout the congregation, and people kind of catch on to that. It becomes contagious. Praise is horizontal. Everyone can see what is going on around you. As we look and praise, everything is, that is beside us, we see people clapping. We see people raising their hands or coming to the altar or maybe just worshiping in their own way. We see that. But worship is vertical. Worship is an intimate time between you, the praiser, and God, the Holy One. It becomes that intimate time where it doesn't really matter what anybody else around is doing, that you're going to cry out and you're going to worship him and you're going to praise him. So worship is vertical. It's an intimate time with God. Worship means to kiss toward God, and we're going to talk about more, more of that next week. But there's three places for praise. And as you look into the Old Testament and you go into the temple, you have the outer courts, and, and there, there's praising and, and that, that goes on. Then there's the inner courts where we talk to God and we worship. And then there's the holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. God speaks. We're not to talk. We're to be very humble before him. Sometimes we just need to be silent and listen to God. It's very important that we do that. And as we get ready to sing some more, what I want to do this morning as we sing, we've just got a uh, couple, two or three songs of just kind of a slower, just something that's more worshipful. Because I want you to engage this morning with what God has for you. Not so much what he has for me. I'm, I'm going to worship and I'm going to, you know, do whatever I feel like he's calling me to do. But I just want you to maybe get lost in that moment of worship that's intimate between you and your God this morning. And not worry about whatever who is standing beside you or sitting behind you, beside you says or does. Just commit to worship and praise him this morning. As we engage more in worship this morning, we're just going to begin to sing a few more songs. Let's go ahead and stand as we do this.